Let's open our Bibles, please, today to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, chapter 2. In a recent article, a British psychologist, David Lewis, reports that shopping is hazardous to a man's health. He tested volunteers ages 22 through age 79 by sending them out shopping. He recorded their blood pressure rates. He said uh, when he did this, uh, they had blood pressure as high as a fighter pilot going into battle. According to the same test, only one in four women showed any significant signs of stress from shopping. Just one of the many gender differences we have in America. This is why when the wives say, honey, let's go shopping, he almost has a convulsion. You know, the question has been posed. What would have, hap- what would have happened if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men? The answer is this. They would have asked directions immediately upon commencing their trip, which would have allowed them to arrive on time. They would have helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought cute little outfits for that baby Jesus could have worn on his trip home. Well, uh, the the thing about that is uh, we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the three wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we find uh, another part of the story of Christmas. That's just one of the parts. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men uh, from the east came to Jerusalem. In our culture, many people think that, you know, we sing the song, We Three Kings. Well, they weren't kings. They were wise men. They were people uh, who were involved in astrology, astronomy. Uh, They were watchers of the sky. Uh, We don't know for sure either if there were even three of them. We just surmise that because at the end of the story here, when we get there, we find they, they bring their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we think, well, each one carried one. But there could have been a whole entourage of these people coming from eastern lands. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I've said to you before that whenever we come to the word Christ in our English Bible, we ought to read it Messiah. It has a a bigger meaning to us. Sometimes we, we use the word Christ as a title. Messiah really carries it way back into the Old Testament. And the, the word Christ means anointed one, the anointed one, the Messiah. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And we find here a quotation from the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who who will shepherd my people Israel. It's interesting. The book of Matthew is the gospel to the Jews. 
If you're ever going to share the message of Messiah with the Jews, the place to go is Matthew. And the reason why is because it's filled with Old Testament prophecies. Actually, there's over 60 references in Matthew to the Old Testament. And so it's so easy then to, to talk about the prophecies and the fulfillments. The prophecy of Messiah in the Old Testament, the fulfillment of Messiah in the New Testament. Uh, when we talk to the Gentile world, we give them a book of John. Here, this is, this is for you. This will help you. Uh, there's nothing that will help the Jewish people any better than the book of Matthew. And here we find, right away, up front, this quotation from Isaiah. Verse number 7, Then Herod, when he was secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. When did you first see this star? He knew they had come on a long journey. Some people say they may have traveled as far as a thousand miles. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this young child. Uh, and when you found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Uh, this is uh, the next part of the Christmas story. Uh, in most of our scenes, you know, we have a kind of a collection in our house of manger scenes. They're all over the place. Little ones, bigger ones. And uh, in a lot of those scenes, we have, the, we have these two stories drawn together. We have the shepherds there. We have even kings there. Uh, we have wise men there. But uh, we believe that these two stories were separated by a period maybe of two years in the Bible. Uh, the announcement came to the shepherds to go find the baby Jesus in a manger. And uh, whenever that announcement went out, there was another announcement that God made in the sky way over in eastern lands. And that star appeared in the sky. And those people, however many there were of them, they started their journey to follow that star because they knew that that star would actually lead them somewhere to fulfillment. They were looking for fulfillment, the fulfillment of prophecy, and they were looking for the fulfillment of, the, uh, of their life in a Savior. You know, everyone needs a God. That's why people gravitate towards all sorts of things. They try this for a while, and that God doesn't work. They try this routine for a while, and that God doesn't work. And they try this for a while, and that doesn't work. But uh, these people, they were looking for more than uh, just to fulfill the ancient prophecies. They were looking for a God to fill their life. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, there is this verse. Listen. It says, He has... Put eternity in our hearts. When God made us, he made a little place in our heart for him. I, th I, I like to call it a homing device. It's always pushing us toward him, and, and we, we don't know how to get there, really. 
And so we go on all these little detours. Maybe this will bring me happiness. Maybe this will bring me peace. Maybe this will fulfill my life. And in the midst of us, there's this little homing device in our heart that just keeps telling us, listen, this won't work and that won't work. And uh, only do we come to, when we come to Christ is that vacuum filled in our life. These wise men from the East, they were specialists in astronomy. How did they get their directions? Well, here we find uh, the word very clearly tells us in verse 2, for we have seen his star in the east. You know, God has always been good at lighting up the sky. You know that? For 40 years back in the Old Testament, God lit up the sky for the nation of Israel to follow him through the wilderness. Remember, a cloud by day, fire by night. Uh, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says this of God. You alone are immortal, dwelling in light so brilliant that no man can approach you. Why is it that no one has seen God? God's too bright. You can't see God. He dwells in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. In fact, he is more than that. The Bible says he is light. God is light. He loves light. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. God loves light. God loves to bring the light. How did these strangers from a faraway place hear about the star? Well, Numbers 24:17 has a has a wonderful verse we think that they may have read. Let's read it together. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. A star shall come out of Jacob. Uh, Many people believe that this and many other prophecies were disseminated in those foreign lands by God sprinkling his people in foreign lands. And when God sprinkles his people in foreign lands, guess what happened? The scriptures went with his people. Uh, If our country was being taken over, And uh, we were fleeing for our lives. What would we take with us in exile? What would we take to another country to, to hold on to our life? Well, I think most of us would look around the house and we'd say, we'd take our family, of course. And then we'd say, listen, do you have your what? Your Bible. Because this, in the most difficult times of life, could give us a tremendous sense of sanity and peace. You just read Psalm 119 when you go home, and it will blow you away about what God says about His law, His book, the Holy Scriptures. It is extraordinary. I was just thinking, whenever... um, John McCain was in his uh, prison camp. What enabled those men like him to be sane after a period of time? Because all you would have there is you would be alone with your thoughts. And I thought, boy, how great it would be to have your mind just filled with Scripture. And you could just day and night 
quote the scripture. Boy, that would calm your spirit. That would give you peace and strength. But if you weren't really good at memorizing the Bible, if you had your Bible, that would probably even be better because you'd have the whole book that way. And so this is what happened. Around 606 B.C., the nation, uh, or Judah, the part of Israel called Judah, went into uh, exile, Babylonian exile. And many of the, uh, the more gifted people were taken there to serve as servants in those faraway places. But you know what they took with them? They took their Bibles with them. They took their scriptures with them. And when they went to those foreign places, they, they didn't just read it for their own edification. They shared it with other people. And that's the way spirituality grows. You know, we don't have the Bible and say, listen, I'm going to keep this for myself. I'm going to read this at home. Uh, and we don't share it because the joy of what you learn in here is something too hard to contain, isn't it? It's like when you read the Bible, it's like you want to go to work and say, hey, listen, look at what I read this morning. Let me tell you about this. And then somebody says, well, you know, I don't want to hear about this. But you're saying, listen, I got to tell you about this because this thing's like motivated me. It's inspired me. And that's the way it was with the nation of Israel. They went into faraway places and they took their scriptures and they said, listen, hey, this thing about this, there's a star coming up one day. And that could have passed down through generation because isn't that the way spirituality is? It goes from this generation to this generation to this generation. And it's been going down through a lot of generations. And so uh, that's, they studied these ancient prophecies. These people who were dispersed. Uh, they were looking for the king of the Jews. And in verse number 2, when they showed up at Jerusalem, they said, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, this struck fear to the heart of Herod because he was a king but not born a king. He was appointed by the Roman Senate. The people didn't appreciate him. He was a disastrous person. He was a prolific murderer. And uh, the people really just put up with him uh, because they had no choice. And so when he found out that the, the king was coming, the real king, uh, he was shocked because he saw his throne disappearing fast. And uh, it caused, caused a great alarm. Uh, he was troubled, verse 3, and it says all Jerusalem was troubled. When Herod was troubled, everybody was troubled. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, these are the religious people. Together he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Because the religious people should know, right? And so these religious doctors came up and said, hey, we know exactly where he's supposed to be born. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now, they had kind of missed the mark there. They came to Jerusalem and that was... That was like, um, that was the center of public worship at the temple there. But Bethlehem was a suburb. And the passage we have quoted here in Matthew is not the full passage that we have in the original. In Micah 5.2, if you compare the two, scholars tell us that this is a paraphrase right here. It doesn't have the whole verse. Because in the... Micah 5, 2, it talks, there's, there's an ending that's not here. And it goes like this, from everlasting to everlasting. Talking about this person who is to be born in Bethlehem is really God because 
In Psalm 90, verse 2, the Bible says, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You existed in that direction and in this direction everlastingly. And so uh, these, the, the, the religious doctors, they knew the place where he was to be born, and that was Bethlehem. And there was a messianic wind blowing at this time. I was reading, and I've read this many times in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. The Bible says, now, as the people were in expectation, they all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Messiah or not. When John the Baptist came on the scene, do you know who they thought he was? They thought he was the Messiah. And he had to, like, calm them down. Listen, I'm not even worthy to, uh, to stand in his presence. I'm not worthy to baptize him. Uh, they thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. But they had this expectation. I was reading in some commentaries, and I always do this at Christmas, because even though the story is so familiar, there's always more to learn. And I found that a number of historians back during that time also confirmed the fact that people were expecting at this time a Messiah, a deliverer to come from God. For instance, Joseph or, or uh, Josephus and Philo, two Jewish historians, confirmed this. Roman historians Suetonius and Tacitus also say something very similar. Uh, this procession has now begun from foreign lands. People are coming a long distance to find the Messiah. There is this passage, and I wish that I would put it up for you today, but I didn't. It's found in Psalm 72, 10 and 11. It goes like this. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Now, that's probably a prophecy of the end of time. Because we believe that Jesus is coming back one day and he's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. The knowledge of God will be all over the world. And people from all lands will come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And when they come to worship him, they will bring their gifts. And it's interesting that here we find at Bethlehem, from faraway places, they come to worship the Lord and they come and bring their gifts. Uh, this was, uh, these people at this time were adding up the prophecies. Let's turn way back into the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, please. I want to show you something here. Uh, some of you have seen it before. The first prophecy of the virgin birth. Uh, you know, the Old Testament is just filled with prophecies of Jesus. His incarnation, his life, his death. In Genesis chapter 3, we find uh, the story of the fall Satan came to Adam and Eve and really messed up their life. And so God had to keep his word. And so therefore he began to pass out judgment for people who have offended God. And uh, in verse number 14, he turns to the serpent, the enemy that's caused all of this. And look what he said. He said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. 
And he says, I will put enmity, a state of warfare, between you and the woman. Now, scholars tell us that the woman here is Israel. And I've written Revelation 12:13 right here for further reference. He said, I'm going to create a state of war between you. That's the devil, the serpent, and Israel. And between your seed and her seed. It's interesting that in my Bible, the first seed there is, is uh, not capitalized, but the second one is. Her seed. Who does that refer to? That refers to Mary's child. The virgin birth. It doesn't say man's seed. It says the woman's seed. The Messiah came through a woman, not a man. And so here we find distinctly a prophecy. God says, I'm going to create a spirit of warfare between the devil and Israel. Why does little old Israel, ever since its existence, it started, why has it had trouble? Why have people hated it so much? Because there has been this warfare going on uh, against it. Uh, Satan has been fighting against it. And then her seed came along, that's Messiah, and look what the next part of the verse, I have capital H, he, a person, shall bruise your head. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the devil. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We believe this happened on the cross. We believe that uh, Jesus defeated the devil, a head wound, on the cross, but in the course of it all, his heel was bruised as well. Here we find this first prophecy, Genesis 3.15. These people begin to add up all these prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 9.6, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the, the what? Prince of Peace. Uh, and on and on, these, these people were just piling up the prophecies. How did these travelers, why were they so impelled to come this long journey? Uh, they, they thought that at the end of not the rainbow, but the star, they would find the answer. Uh, I find it so interesting that these religious doctors were so quick to give their answer. When Herod asked them, where is he to be born? They said, we know, Bethlehem. This, this is interesting to me because these people knew the Bible, but their heart really wasn't into it. Don't you think if you would have been a true seeker of God and these travelers had come and said, listen, we followed the star and we know that according to numbers that this star is going to lead us to a Savior. Don't you think that the doctors of the law would have said, Hey, listen, can we go too? Can we, can we join you? We want to go and find the Messiah. But they didn't. There's, at least there's no record of it here. Uh, they didn't go. Their interest level was not that high. You know, there are many people who talk about faith. But it's only a head knowledge. It's not a heart knowledge. And here we have a graphic example of it right here. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament that in the last days, dangerous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Uh, and the Bible says they're going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And so there are many people going through the motions, 
even carrying their Bibles and sometimes reading them. But it's only a form. Their heart's really not in it. And uh, they're certainly not interested in leaving their little comfort zone and worshiping God. Well, uh, these uh, travelers from the east, they arrived uh, on their journey. And the Bible says uh, they came and arrived in the house. And they found the Lord there. Verse number 11. Not a manger, but a house. Mary and Joseph had moved into a house. And they saw a young child. And the word there is uh, literally in the original language, young child, not baby. And so somehow they referred to Jesus at this time as a young child. This means they came later. Uh, They arrived and... uh, They found this child. And what did they first do? This is so interesting to me. Look at it. They fell down and did what? They worshipped him. They did not worship Mary. They worshipped this little baby. Now, when I'm thinking about this, that kind of stretches your mind. They were so convinced that this little baby was the Messiah They actually gave him their worship. And the word worship means that they fell down on their their face, so to speak. That was the position of worship. They just laid out. Can you imagine these people coming with these expensive gifts? And they just came before this little child. And they just laid down. That was the form of worship. And they gave themselves in worship. Now, we know that God is the only one worthy of worship, right? But we worship oftentimes lots of things, don't we? We worship our job. We worship our interests. We worship our hobbies. But God says, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make unto yourself any graven image or bow down to that image, worship that image. Now, these people had come a long distance. They first gave themselves... That's what God wants from you and me. He wants us to give Him ourself. Uh, Romans 12, 1 always uh, stimulates me on this. Let's read it together, all right? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Well, I love this. He says, I urge you, I beg you, by God's mercy. What's that mean? God has showed you so much mercy. I urge you to do this because God is merciful. To present your bodies, that means your whole being, a living, not a dead sacrifice, but alive. You know, God wants us to be excited, alive, and holy. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, how do we begin to worship God? We begin to worship God. First of all, God says, listen, before you do any other thing, I want you to give yourself to me. Everything you are, your whole being, just lay it down and say to me, Lord, everything I have belongs to you. You might say, well, I don't have a whole lot. Well, God will take whatever you have. Uh, 
He says, I want you to give yourself. And that's what these people did right here when they came to worship. They bowed themselves down. They gave themselves to this Messiah. 2 Corinthians 8.5 is another one. Let's read this. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That's what God wants us to do. First of all, give ourselves to God. Then give our gifts to God. But you know what happens? A lot of times we don't do that. We come to church and we say, okay, what can you pry out of me this Sunday, God? Uh, You know, oftentimes you've heard me kind of summarize this in a trilogy God wants our time, our talent, and our treasure. You know, that, that covers a lot of things right there. And, uh, and so what we, what we do is when we, we make deals with God and we say, okay, God, this week you give 15 minutes of my time because I'm a busy person. You know that, God, don't you? Uh, my talent, I don't have much, and so therefore I don't have to volunteer to do anything. Uh, my treasure, you know, I don't have a lot of money, Lord. So I'll just give a little bit. And so we make all these deals with God and, we, and, and it becomes a struggle with us. You know, what's God going to get out of me today? I know I need to give God something. I'll feel guilty if I don't. And I don't want to feel guilty. And God says, listen, I have the solution to the problem. Present yourself, your whole self, a living sacrifice to me. And you know what that means? That means there's no more deals on time. That means there's no more deals on talent. That means there's no more deals on treasure. Because everything you are and everything you have belong to who? The Lord. You don't have to make any more deals. Somebody says, hey, give, give your time to the Lord. And you say, man, I just wish I had more time to give to God. Man, somebody says, why are you so involved? Oh, I just love it so much. Because I gave God everything I am. I'm not in the business of holding back. I'm in the business of giving to God everything I am. Uh, They came and they brought their gifts. They brought gold. That was a gift worthy of a king. Frankincense and myrrh. Uh, This trip took a long time to come. Uh, They brought their gifts to the Lord. But uh, right after this, remember, Joseph was uh, warned to take Jesus to Egypt because Herod gave a decree that the babies in and around Bethlehem would be killed. And so the, the message came to get the baby out of town quick. And so it was so interesting. We know for sure that Mary and Joseph were poor people. We've proved that before from the Bible that whenever they dedicated Jesus to the Lord, remember they brought an offering of the poor people. And so they didn't have any money. And so here comes these travelers from a thousand miles away with all this gold. I don't know how much there was of it, but I just imagine it was pretty good. And so right after they gave the gold, uh, Mary and Joseph were warned to get out of town. And they said, you know, that was really neat. The Lord gave us this traveling expense right here. We're going to go on this long journey now to Egypt. God has this way of helping us when we have needs, when we give ourselves to him. And so, um, and so they headed out of town. Adversity, adversity came their way. God saved this little baby. Uh, 
You know, there's nothing more fulfilling than uh, having found Jesus at Christmas time and knowing the real meaning. Don't you think these travelers, whenever they came all that distance, they got they were sick and they were discouraged? Don't you imagine they wanted to quit? I expect the answer is yes to all of those things, but they persevered. Uh, let me ask you this morning, how hungry are you in your search for God? You know, oftentimes in our real life, when we're hungry, we look in the cookie jar, the refrigerator, the cabinet, where your wife hides the chocolate chips, the freezer, and you just keep looking until you find something good to eat. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, I want to encourage you this Christmas. Um, how hungry are you in your search for God? These people, they were hungry. And I'll tell you what, when they came to the Lord, they were fulfilled. And uh, my word to you this morning is this. As long as you look in the wrong places, you'll be hungry. But if you look in the right place, you'll be filled. Jesus will fill you up. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. I wonder if you have ever come and given yourself to Christ. Or are you one of those persons that's through the years made deals with God? I'll just give as little as I can get away with. I'll tell you what, that's no fun. You know that? That is no fun. You know it and I know it. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning and you would say, Pastor John, there's a need in my life. I've been religious. I've heard sermons. I've gone to church. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is not in my life. Because I don't wake up thinking about Him and I don't go to bed thinking about Him. And I know I need Him in my life. I'd like to pray for you this morning that God will give you the faith to open your heart to Christ today. Would you slip up your hand for prayer wherever you're seated in the auditorium? If you need Christ today, just slip it up, put it down. Nobody will say anything. Yes, God bless you. Is there someone else? Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I'd like to pray for you. Just slip it up and put it down. Yes, God bless you. Is there another? God's speaking to me. I've been religious, but I'm lost, and I know it now. Dear Lord, I pray for these who raise their hand today. I pray, Lord, that they will come to you on this day and fling open the doors of their heart and turn away from those, those things that have been separating them from you, Lord, their sin, and turn to you for the solution. Lord, I pray that you'll give them faith to believe in you this morning in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to 